Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Beck Wise about teaching technical and professional communication at the University of Queensland in Australia, feminist and critical pedagogies, medical rhetoric, and cross-disciplinary collaborations. Beck Wise is lecturer in professional writing and director of the major in professional writing and communication at the University of Queensland. Beck's research investigates how science is used in public debates about social justice and writing pedagogy for large classes. Their work appears in Rhetoric of Health and Medicine, Research in Online Literacy Education, and Continuum, Journal of Media and Cultural Studies, among other venues. Beck, thanks so much for joining us. So you teach technical writing and professional communication at the University of Queensland in Australia. Can you talk about how teaching writing is framed given your institutional and geographic context? Okay, so I'll start by just giving you a little bit of background um, and then just like explain Australia 101 um, and then uh, loop through what, what it looks like where I am now. So I work at the University of Queensland, which is in Brisbane, Australia. Um, if you kind of overlaid Australia on a uh, US map, we're sort of level with Virginia on the coast there. It is a research institution, uh, one of our group of eight universities, so like an R1 type university. Um, and I've been here for about 18 months. Um, it's my second job out of grad school. And we have two majors in writing. We have a major in creative writing and a major in professional writing and communication. So I got employed to come in and do the professional writing and communication major. Um, it got forked off from creative writing a couple of years ago. I work with a lot of creative writers. The major is a little bit of a patchwork uh, job right now. We're going to keep building it out. Um, so it's pulled together from whatever sort of creative writing and communication classes already existed and could contribute to professional writing. So it's a little bit of a weird, a little bit of a weird one. <laughs> Yeah, so I teach a little mishmash of classes. Um, I teach a like st- grammar and style class uh, that's required for our creative writing majors and our education majors, um, not our professional writing majors. I teach a first year composition class, um, which I'll be doing next semester, just an option that anyone in the university can take. Um, and I teach a postgrad class in uh, workplace communication that looks a little bit different every year. It's just in its second year now. Yeah, and I have this kind of interesting mix of students. You know, obviously everything's multi-major um, because here in Australia we teach all our classes as lecture and tutorial style. So we don't do those kind of small seminars that are characteristic of the, the US context. I've got to ask, what's that like? Because that lecture style, so teaching hundreds of students about writing in one large class is so different than many first-year writing classes in the U.S., which have 20 to 25 students, classes meet two or three times a week, and maybe teachers approach first-year writing through a more conversational or workshop model-like lens. So the first thing I want to say about that, I did my PhD in the United States, so I'm really I you know I was raised on that workshop model that you described like you know the 25 students we're there three times a week uh we're all talking to each other and working with drafts and you know you would be amazed um how much you can cram into three three class meetings a week um compared to what you can do when you suddenly find yourself trying to switch to 
one big lecture and one one tutorial a week. So I got back to Australia and found this out after I started. I was like, oh God, oh no. Yeah, and I sort of got thrown straight into it. And and so one of the things I've been doing actually since I graduated is um, starting to do kind of more composition scholarship that's looking at like how do we teach writing effectively in these lecture and tutorial contexts? Because we don't, like we don't have scholarship that addresses that. We have every so often there's like someone's thing. It's like, I tried this and it was a disaster. Um, you know, sort of like the 80s, 90s, 2000s. Um, Michael Farris at Texas Tech, I think, is doing something like this at the moment. We teach a one-hour lecture once a week and then a one-and-a-half-hour tutorial. The first-year comp class here at my current institution is pretty small by Australian standards at 100 students. At my last job, our first-year comp class was about 300 to 400 um, every semester. And here, because it's an elective, um, it's only about 100 every semester too. So I work with a team of um, team of tutors. My job is sort of somewhere in between a WPA uh, and a general assistant professor. My job is to handle all the admin for the class, to design and deliver the lectures. I also do tutorial designs that are optional for my tutors. So they can use them if they want to, but if they have their own stuff, um, that still serves the learning outcomes, that's fine. So my first year comp class, we meet early in the week. Um, we try and do all the broad principles stuff in lecture. I sort of zoom through it. And, and then, you know, when we get into the tutorial space, that's where we start trying to do all of that workshop, like a US style workshop. The real issue is that when you're splitting content out in that way, and you've got one, you know, 75 minutes of active learning in a in a week, like you've really got to cut it down. So I would say I do probably maybe 50% of what I would have done in a US semester, if that, in terms of kind of the, the amount of ground we cover. Um, we do probably a little bit less writing overall. We're also in a 12 week, 12 or 13 week semester. So getting those revision cycles in um, can be tricky as well. As a teacher, you prioritize inclusivity and equity. And one way you do this is through feminist and critical pedagogies and theories. Do you mind talking about what it looks like to draw from these frameworks in technical and professional communication classes? Yeah, okay. So for me, one of the ways that that um, has really manifested since I've been back here in Australia has been in trying to think about how authority works in the classroom. So, you know, working in a workshop model, you know, I think it's can be a little bit easier to kind of think of yourself as like to sort of decenter yourself in the classroom, right? It is extremely hard to do that when you are standing in front of a lecture hall. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure that I actually have a solution to that. Um that's that's really what I've been trying to work through is how can I in this sort of like physical environment and institutional context find ways to, you know, promote student agency, to get myself out of that authority space um, and to work more like a facilitator in the classroom. Um, so in the grad class last semester, the way that we did that was by pushing all of the student work into uh, self-directed projects. Um, 
where I was having them, you know, they were setting their own goals for what it is they wanted to learn. We did principles and then everything after that was student directed. And so students were setting their own goals for what they wanted to figure out over the course of the semester. They were producing um, all of the core principles that we were doing through there were very much about thinking, you know, I think week two was accessibility and then it sort of wove, wove the whole way through um, thinking about how we can create documents that are more, uh, more inclusive, more equitable, more just. Yeah, we saw some really cool assignments out of that as well. I was a um, kind of like 50% creative writers in that class um, and then a mix of other things. And at first, when I rolled in there, I was like, we're well, going to talk about instructions and memos and it's going to be so fun. And they looked at me like, I'm sorry, where are the novels? But they sort of came around and, and wound up doing some really awesome things. You know, a bunch of them um, made materials for our student press. Um, the creative writing program has a student press. One of my favourites was someone who did the, um, wound up doing an accessibility audit for the museum uh, she worked at um, and creating um, like a public facing accessibility guide, but around and measured all the door, door frames among other things, as well as running training for her, for her co-workers about how they can work more effectively with patrons with disabilities. Beck, it sounds like you're teaching technical writing and professional communication to a lot of students with a creative writing background. How do you bring these two areas together or how do you support their agency as creative writers through more professional genres? Yeah, so the way I did it last year was to, um, so again, it was the first time the course uh, had been offered. Um, so it had been put on the books before I started. Somebody, one of the creative writers had designed it. Um, so I sort of came in and like laid out the readings and stuff and did the assessment design, but like the topics were sort of set for me. So last semester, what I tried to do was just to let students through their assessed work, shape it to their needs. Um, so. The assessment sequence was um, a communication audit of a workplace. Like what, what is the workplace communication that happens where you are? Like go out there and look at it and see what's, see what's happening in like a team or whatever. A proposal for fixing some kind of communication issue within the workplace. So, you know, there was a mix of, yeah. So they figured out their own communication problems and then put together a portfolio of documents that addressed it. So, you know, and this year I'm teaching it for the second time um, and I've actually changed it up a heap. My expectation is that most of my students are now going to be unemployed. Obviously the kinds of, the kinds of work that students are doing has really evaporated. Um, so I'm expecting a lot of my students to be unemployed. And I did find last year that the students who didn't have current jobs and the handful that hadn't ever had a job um, really struggled with that project-based design. So since I'm expecting kind of a bit more of a disrupted semester, um, I think students are going to probably need a bit stronger direction, maybe more on and off points in order to get through uh, semester two. I've switched up all my assessments. We're doing like smaller discrete projects. We're doing hypothetical, hypothetical things, some of which have that flex to accommodate student interests and some of which don't. So we're going to do um, a job ad analysis. What, what are the communication skills in your target industry? We're doing an instructions and user testing module. Um, so normally I do like Lego on day one. I love Lego. So we, you know, dump it all out and make instructions and build things and like laugh at whatever nonsense creation people come up with, you know. So I want to do that, but I think Lego is probably like a disgusting 
pit of disease with all those little holes in it. So we're not doing Lego. So I'm making students do instructions for blanket forts. I also didn't want to send them to the grocery store to do recipes. So we're doing blanket forts. Do your instructions for a blanket fort. Um, we'll pass them off to someone who's used similar materials and they can do a user test, the user report, and then revise and resubmit. I'm not 100% sure how this is going to go down with like, yeah, my older students. We'll see. <laughs> You also do a lot of work in medical rhetoric and visual rhetoric, yeah? Yeah, so I came to that work uh, when I was in cultural studies. So my, you know, like a lot of people, you know, I came to rhetoric late at the grad school stage. So rhetoric and rhetoric is not a thing really outside of the US. Um, you know, it's the, the field is really dominated there. There's a bit happening in Europe, but certainly in Australia, it's all but non-existent. Even in undergrad, I was kind of interested in like the cultural dimensions of science and how we talk about science and how science is used. After I finished my BA, I did a, our degree structure is a little bit different. Um, so you have the option here of doing a one-year honours year, which is a research-focused year. It's kind of like a one-year master's program in the US. Yeah, so I did an honours year in gender studies. And then after I finished uh, undergrad, I worked for... Uh, a few years. Um, uh, I was a quilt magazine editor for years, uh, which is actually the first time I ever heard of technical writing, but I didn't realise it was a real thing until like 10 years later. Yeah, and then when I started grad school, I was applying for like gender studies, cultural studies, uh, master's programs. And so my master's thesis was sort of still looking at the same work. Um, I was doing a little bit of um, like I did some anthropology classes, I did some gender studies classes. Yeah, and about a year in, someone said to me, oh, hey, do you know that's rhetoric? And I was like, no, what is that? They're like, come to class. And so I went to class and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I see. This is, this is what I'm doing. So I think um, the Australian cultural studies sort of has some things in common with rhetoric and especially with cultural rhetoric that historically Australian cultural studies has been interested in like what texts do in the world. It like, it sort of comes down to this large lecture format again, you know? So in our majors, we have, you know, we, we, have, we offer a really limited number of classes. Um, we offer like a lot of big classes. Um, you sort of, because of that, you're sort of forced towards more of a survey model. You know, if I were in the U S like, would I have like a really neat, like third year, medical rhetoric, maybe reproductive justice class. Hell yes. You have this co-written article with Dr. Ariella Van Leeuwen, a creative writer and teacher at the University of New England, about disciplinary identifications. And you all focus on this question, what are we as academics talking about when we talk about writing? I think one thing you all are doing in this article is calling attention to histories and the perception and social implications that exist when we approach writing from a narrow lens, right? So we are closing the door on possibilities when we don't imagine the cross-disciplinary collaborations that can happen between other disciplinary identities. And I think you all are suggesting we approach and make more visible all our disciplinary efforts and investments into writing, right? Right, Ariella was my colleague at the University of New England. That was my first job out of grad school. Um, it's like a regional comprehensive, it's 90% online. Um, Australia has like 40 universities serving an area the size of the continental US. 
mostly clustered in our big cities. So we have um, a really strong tradition of online and distance education in the regional institutions in particular. The way that it came about was that Ariella and I were hired in the same search. So we both responded to the same job ad that was like, we want a lecturer in writing. We want someone that can do public and professional writing. We want someone with like industry experience. And we both applied for this job and they wound up hiring both of us out of that same search. So I came in from the US, um, you know, rhetoric, writing, uh, sort of edging into tech comm. Um, and Ariella is a novelist um, and a short story writer. Um, and we both sort of walked into this, having come from different disciplinary backgrounds. But what we found when we, were, when we started working together, so we worked together on a grant application for a digital storytelling lab. Um, we worked together on an editing class. And what we found was that we had sort of the same uh, ideas about process, the same ideas about how writing should be happening and how writing should be taught, even though we'd come at it from these really different perspectives. What was sort of rough for us was figuring out like the home for that kind of that kind of work you know that Australia has um, a professional organization for creative and professional writing um, but their journal only publishes creative writing right yeah so I was kind of grading it like well where does my work fit in here you know this is a major in writing it just has creative writing units like and so for us what we sort of came to realize was that even though we're coming at these things from really different perspectives there was enough of a shared ground there that it could fit together under a broader idea of writing studies but in Australia you know so whenever we talk about writing in Australia it basically means creative writing like writing studies as a professional space or an affiliation or an alignment like whatever you want to call it in Australia is something that doesn't really exist you know people are scattered all over the place it's not like a clear home our position in this article was like what if we stopped talking about writing to just being creative writing what if we could find a way to bring together all of these different spaces where writing is happening and being taught you know pull in the people that are doing the writing center work out of student services pull in the people that are doing english language support uh pull in the people who are doing business communication um, and think about how we can build the area of writing studies, kind of defragment it in a way, which I think, you know, it has implications for publishing, it has implications for career progression. Um, I was talking to a very senior guy in the um, School of Business at UQ, uh, who again, I found out about by accident because they're business linguists who do genre analysis, um, but they're like studying writing and teaching writing. You know, maybe we could uh, find a way to collaborate. Maybe we could, you know, we could um, write a response about the Australian context for this kind of um, Australian universities are super, super dependent on uh, international student income. Um, so there's a lot of discussion around, um, yeah, language fluency and student outcomes. And yeah, so I wrote to these two guys who I had no idea existed and sort of introduced myself and. Um, the senior guy, uh, Bernard McKenna, uh, said to me, he'd started off in scientific and technical communication and he had changed out of that field um, because it was, he found it really demoralizing to go to the communication association meetings uh, to talk about writing to always an empty, an empty hole, you know? And so he'd switched over to kind of this more philosophical business communication, something about wisdom in business 
uh, feelings and communication now. And that was sort of like my experience too. Like I went to the Australasian Association of Writing Programs things doing this work that's like rhetoric, composition, tech com. And it says it's Association for Professional Writing, but you know, it's, it's not right. Like the interest isn't there. Um, so for me, like one of the big things, I think, uh, thinking about like career progression and publications, um, is really about like how, how to make this work legible in a context where there is no history of technical communication, um, of rhetoric, of composition, like what are the, what are the spaces for this and where do I find the people that are doing this? Thanks, Beck, and thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.